the idea for this episode came when someone asked me if, as a professor, I would be able to tell if my students are cheating using ChatGPT or, or any other type of AI like Jasper and, and others to generate replies to the assignments that I gave them. So I then launched a small LinkedIn poll collecting opinions, your opinions on the topic. I had a very hard time containing myself uh, not to respond with my own positions because I didn't want to influence the, the replies and the votes. But who is better to answer this question than ChatGPT itself? So I opened up the ChatGPT window and I asked, should the GPT be allowed in the classroom? Here's what I got. As an AI language model, I do not have personal opinions or beliefs. That's already a great opening, uh, which, by the way, when I asked questions like this before, I, I never got this answer. So I'm, I'm glad that they somehow added that I'm asking for an opinion and this is an AI language model, so it does not have personal opinions or beliefs. And it's something we should remember. The use of GPT or any other technology in the classroom is a decision that is best made by educators, administrators, and educational experts based on their own understanding of the educational needs and goals of their students. Some may find GPT useful for providing information, generating writing prompts, or assisting with research projects, while others may have concerns about the accuracy and impartiality of AI-generated information. Ultimately, the decision should be guided by what is in the best interest of the students and the educational institution. Okay, that, that's, you know, not telling us anything. So just to be sure, I also asked ChatGPT, why should ChatGPT not be used by students? And here's what I got this time. I'm going to try and use a robot voice. While GPT and AI technology can be useful in some ways, it is not a substitute for human learning and understanding. Here are some reasons why GPT should not be solely relied on by students. Accuracy. GPT is trained on large amounts of text from the internet and is not always correct. It may provide false information or perpetuate misinformation. Like that never happens on the internet, right? Impartiality. GPT reflects the biases and opinions of the data it was trained on. If It may provide one-sided information or perpetuate stereotypes. Interesting. Limited critical thinking. Relying solely on GPT can hinder students' critical thinking skills, creativity, and problem-solving abilities. I'm going to talk a lot about that. And the next one, lack of creativity. GPT can provide answers and information, but it cannot encourage students to think outside the box or come up with unique ideas. And in summary, it gives, this is still ChatGPT, Therefore, it is important for students to use GPT as a tool to support their learning and understanding rather than relying solely on it for information and answers. It is equally important for educators to teach students how to critically evaluate and understand the information they find, including information generated by AI models like GPT. Well, that's what ChatGPT thinks about its own use in the classroom. Now it's time to share what I really think about ChatGPT, trust in the classroom, 
and frankly, where education needs to be. Right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? I want to start this episode again with giving some maybe more explanation of what ChatGPT is. Uh, it's created by an, a company, an organization called OpenAI that uh, has received, I believe, more than $10 billion from Intel uh, to develop and uh, support the development of, of their tool, which is uh, um, it's, it's really artificial intelligence uh, language uh, generation. And, and it goes to the internet to get information and um, it can do some very cool things. Uh, if you listen to my podcast episode uh, two weeks ago, so two episodes ago, you'll find uh, a lot more there. Um, but but I have to give you an example. Uh, you know, Shira, my younger daughter, is turning uh, 22 next, uh, next month. Uh, we're going to uh, Disney World uh, and uh, to, to celebrate that and, and actually celebrate her... Uh, uh, I think it's uh, we're also celebrating her 21st uh, birthday because uh, we kind of missed it with COVID. Um, so I went to ChatGPT. I, I opened that. Uh, it, it's a portal. Uh, and I opened it and I posted a question, which it answers. And here is a, a question or a request. So here is what I wrote. Write a birthday card to my daughter, Shira, who is turning 22 and about to go to Disney World with me. It took about four seconds, maybe not even four seconds, and here's what I got. I'm going to read it to you word for word. Dear Shira, happy 22nd birthday, my dear daughter. I can hardly believe how fast the years have flown by. It seems like just yesterday you uh, that, that you were a little girl, and now you're all grown up and ready to embark on a new adventure. I'm so excited to be able to share this special trip with you. Disney World is a magical place, and I know that you will have the time of your life there. I can't wait to see the look on your face when you see Cinderella's castle. And I'm looking forward to all the fun that we'll have together on the rides. As we explore the park, I want you to know how proud I am of the person you have become. You are kind, intelligent, and funny. And I'm lucky to have you as my daughter. I hope that this trip will be a wonderful memory that you will treasure for years to come. I love you more than words can say, and I wish you all the happiness in the world on your special day. Enjoy your birthday and the trip. Love, dad, and in parentheses, or mom. See, I didn't say if it was dad or mom, so it gave me both options. Isn't that amazing? I mean, seriously. It's like, I, I wrote 16 books. I... I I don't know that I could write this well. And how did it know that Shira is so kind and intelligent and funny? Which, by the way, she is. 
Uh, but you know, it's just it's it's using that. By the way, I don't know that uh, Cinderella Castle is exactly what she wants to see there, and I'm I don't, I'm not sure that that I'm going to enjoy all the rides. See, I'm I'm afraid of heights, which is kind of a conflict with the fact that I'm a pilot. But um, that's ChatGPT. Let's turn to the uh, LinkedIn poll and see uh, what you what were your responses to that question. Okay, so it's not all of you, it's 35 of you. Here's what I posted on uh, LinkedIn as a poll. And, and I have now a new habit of, of doing that, a new process of doing that uh, a week before I record the podcast episode. So, you know, I'm recording it today. A week ago, I posted this. Uh, tomorrow, I will post the link, the uh, LinkedIn poll for next week's episode. This gives me a week to collect and interact with people about the position. Uh, and, and it always helps me form my own. So the question I posted was, uh, should ChatGPT be allowed, encouraged, discouraged, or banned from use in college ca- uh, classes? And why? And I also noted that your why, your answer to the why, the comments are really the, the most helpful part. I did get uh, 35 votes, not responses, 35 votes with, uh, and, and you know, uh, the number of uh, sample, the, 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 the sample itself can, can influence uh, the responses. And so kind of generally, if you had a reasonable uh, homogeneous uh, sample, or, or I shouldn't say homogeneous, it's really diverse sample, um, a sample of 35 with a very large population size, uh, the margin of error is 16.6%. And I'm, I'm sure that at some point in the future, I'll record an episode about doing research and margins of errors and so on, and, and can you trust the results um, based on that. But anyway, I got 35 responses, Encouraged, so you can see that the options, the four options are really on a range from one end encouraged, which is you're not only allowed, but I would encourage you to use it. That, by the way, got the highest number, 13 out of 35 or 37% said it should be encouraged. Uh, 12 said it should be allowed or 34%. So, you know, if you're using it, you're using it. I'm not going to ban you or take points out. I'm not going to encourage you either, uh, either, but, but it's allowed. Discouraged, 5 out of 35 or 14% said it should be discouraged. Discouraged is not the same as banned. Banned would still had five, another five people, 14%. So, uh, all in all, uh, 28% said that it should be discouraged or banned, uh, while, um, what is it, uh, 71%, uh, probably closer to 72%, numbers are rounded, uh, said it should be allowed or even encouraged, with, again, encouraged said the most. But let me read some of the comments, uh, because I think the comments are, are going to help a lot more than just how people voted, how you voted. So one comment is... Um, I'd say it depends on the course and whether or not one needs factual information or not to earn a satisfactory grade. Does the student have the tools necessary to earn a good grade or will ChatGPT enable mediocrity without effort? As an adjunct, this is an adjunct professor, I fully believe that people will continue to cheat if they get away with it. 
if they can get away with it. But my classes are more about knowing how to perform analysis rather than writing papers. So being able to look at a scenario and develop proper plan using whatever tools one has available is fine with me. Uh, by the way, most of uh, the people that responded and I encouraged were um, either professors or any other way associated with education. For the most part, college, because my, my, my focus was on college. So, you know, I can summarize this with, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the, the question is, what are you looking for? And, and it brings up another thing, and that is how contextual the answer to the question needs to be. And I'll get back to that when, when I start giving you my answer or my position. Uh, another one. I've seen uh, some pretty amazing things come out of this project. In fact, I was reading about a business plan that it put together and was spot on and the end user pretty much used it as is to get a business plan, a, a business loan. I, I haven't heard that. I mean, that to, to me, that's amazing. But uh, it's also kind of scary because you have to ask what part of it was true. What part of the business plan, I mean, was true. The college class question is a difficult one. I saw someone had developed a program that could tell if a paper was written by ChatGPT. But soon after, a third party came up with uh, a filter that would modify any given paper uh, so that the first program would think it was original. It's kind of, you know, electronic warfare and counter warfare. You know how we develop radars and then we develop things that can beat radars and then we develop radars that can detect those things that have the technology that can beat radars. It's kind of, it's an endless vicious cycle. Let's get back to the answer. That aside, I always have a window open and use it often for information, helping to write proposal introductions, correcting grammar, and it writes some C++ code for a personal project. Can't imagine where this will be in five years. It's a good point. Uh, another person who is an educator, uh, uh, I, I know that she served on the board of a community college and is now a K-12 educator. The world is changing and this technology is only going to get better. College students need to learn the tools to work with, uh, including critical thinking to evaluate what the program spits out and understanding the topic enough to give more specific and targeted prompts uh, for the most relevant uh, response. If college professors really want to see what students can do on their own, they can give the prompts in class without the benefit of their computers, but it may be valuable uh, to then allow them to give the prompts through the program to compare their answers. Another person who's actually a board trustee in a prominent school district uh, independent school district, uh, K through 12. Uh, for me, I think this gets to a philosophical question about what is the goal of learning and how learning prepares us for work. Is education for us to grow our minds or learn uh, what we can do with uh, supplemental tools, both? Do AI tools uh, strengthen or weaken le learning? Uh, this is a very diff different question than asking if they strengthen or weaken work. If they rely more on AI tools for work, how does the education change to prepare for that? What level of learning without AI tool is required to understand and how to use those tools effectively? Here's an answer from a university professor, ChatGPT and competitive offerings. So let's not forget, ChatGPT is not the only one. 
are inevitable tools to equip us to continue to thrive as knowledge abounds. Our character will ult ultimately reflect whether we have used such tools for good or evil. Another university professor, uh, the learning comes from doing. I learned more accounting in my entrepreneurship class than I ever did in my accounting class. It's the application. Without that, what do we have? Clever conversations without substance and uh, easily influence future generations who struggle to think for themselves. And the final one, uh, I think it hinders creativity, but it's here to stay. Heard on radio show that, that term paper mills are a huge business overseas, providing American students are already paying for others to write them. Now they can get their computers to do it for them. Sadly, the ship has sailed on allowing it. I got more answers that, that I did not include here. Um, one of them, by the way, said, oh, you, you want to know if they're cheating? Just use paper and pen. There's no way they can do that. And, you know, as soon as somebody wrote that, somebody else found a very cool video of a 3D printer handwriting what ChatGPT created. So these were your answers, and uh, you know that your votes uh, were already in the whole range of uh, from encouraging it to uh, banning it. Um, and I think it's time for me to step in and say what I think. Let me start with uh, our, our fear of technology. We are afraid of adopting new technology. We're afraid of mainly of the unknown and, and we're afraid of, of a new technology that other people can use and we can because we don't know how to. The, the initial reaction is almost always to, to any new technology, fear. We're afraid of it. We don't have to go too far back uh, in the past than 2020 and the use of Zoom. Zoom existed before. I used Zoom before. Heck, one of my first startup, actually my first startup company, uh, developed a tool that allowed uh, having voice conversations over the internet as opposed to over a telephone line. That was back in 1995. So this is long before everything that you know today. Internet was barely good enough, was actually not good enough even for voice, let alone video. Nobody thought about video. Now it's good for video. And But in 2020... When all of a sudden there was no alternative, you had to use Zoom, and and of course Microsoft came out with uh, with Teams and Google uh, uh, improved on uh, Google Meet, and and um, you you have other tools. So Zoom somehow became the prominent one, but it existed before. We just didn't use it, and one of the reasons we didn't use it, one of them, not all of the reasons, is that we're afraid of new technologies. You know what? I want you to go back and, and look at some of the other technologies that today we feel so comfortable with and we allow our students, because again, the, the context here is students. Should we teach students to write in cursive? You know, do we spend the amount of time, you know, if there is 177 days in the school year, and now I'm talking K through 12, not necessarily college. If there is 177, 180, let's make it 180 school years, uh, school days in a year. Multiply it by um, 
13 years, you know, including kindergarten. I'm doing the math right now. 180 times 13 years, you get 2,340 uh, 2, days. Let's say that on average we teach uh, six hours a day. Uh, you get 14,000 hours. You get your students for 14,000 hours. And then they graduate. How do you use those 14,000 hours? What part of it are you going to use to teach them to write cursive when almost everything is done with a keyboard today? Whether it's text messages, emails, uh, text that you write, or anything else. What part of those 14,000 should, should you use to teach them cursive? Do math with a calculator instead of an Excel. You know, instead of an Excel spreadsheet. No, I want you to do everything with a calculator. I'm not going to let you use Excel. Uh, you, why calculator? Calculators can uh, mask uh, Excel uh, and, and Excel backbone. So how about an abacus? You know, that this is how you're... Or you're going to have to do it on a piece of paper. No, that's a waste of time when those tools are available and can be relied upon. And that's an important part. When something is available and can be relied upon, then I think we should take this, this shortcut and say we don't have to learn how to operate without it. Unless if without it, we're going to die. So unless there is a life or death um, depends on, on our ability. How about if we stop using electricity? Because it might not be available all the time, especially if we have a three-day winter storm and no generator. Uh, no, we're used to using electricity. We can rely on it. We got, we got to the point where we know that we're going we're gonna to live even if, if their electricity is gone for some time and we can trust the government and, and uh, the, the utility providers to... to produce electricity in a reasonable way. The same with telephones. Do we need to teach them how to read an analog clock when they, uh, kids today don't even wear a watch, a wristwatch. They just use their phone unless that watch is a smartwatch. But no, we, we have to ban using smartwatches, right? Do we go back to writing assignments with pen and paper? And that, that goes back to that comment that, uh, you know, that's, that's how you know they're not cheating. And I'll talk about cheating in the next segment. That's how you know that, that they're not cheating. Um, but, but then somebody found a video on a 3D printer that actually wrote uh, in cursive uh, the, the answers that ChatGPT generated. So, yeah, unless, you know, all assignments have to be done in the classroom. Um, I think the question is, can we rely on a tool that will be available to us? And, you know, one of the answers was, uh, it really depends on uh, what, what do we expect education to do. If we expect it to prepare us for work and this thing is going to be available for you at work, then why not? Why not? And, and it's reliable and, and you can trust that it's going to be available and, and do a good job. And I'm not, I'm not rendering any position on whether ChatGPT is doing a good job or not. And I'll talk about that too today. Um, you know something? Bottom line, when technology can help complete a task, it frees us to do other tasks that we never got to before. You know, we used to hunt for food. 
That would take, well, not necessarily me, it was a long, long time ago, but we used to hunt for food, and that took most of the time to hunt for food. That was at the bottom of the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We needed to eat. And now you can go to the supermarket, uh, to the grocery store, or, or even order it online, and it saves you time. And you can use that time to do other things that you didn't have time for when you had to hunt for food. You know, I, I talked about whether you trust it or not, whether you can trust it or not. We fear new technologies in general. And I, I use that in my, my workshops that uh, I, I give an example of uh, take uh, the, um, you know, in cars, the automatic uh, shift, the, the automatic gear that I remember when it came out, at least when it came out to Israel, because that was like decades after it came out anywhere else especially the u.s uh you didn't know if you could trust it to you know switch when needed and, and sometimes it didn't then you had uh abs and cruise control cruise control was scary i mean that thing would would let you uh you, you know how do you know that that it will get out of uh accelerating or, or keeping speed when you need it to you know, the last year I was in Israel, my, my sister got a new electric car and that car uh, would uh, merge in, in traffic and, and keep distance from the car in front of it, except it couldn't keep the distance to a level that I felt comfortable with. Should see how we drive in Israel. Uh, I mean, the distances are really, really, really short uh, from the car in front of you. Because if you keep if you keep more than one car distance from the car in front of you, then another car will fit in that distance, in that gap. Anyway, I digress. So uh, I, I tried to let the system keep me within a distance from the car in front of it. I couldn't. I'm, I'm telling you, I was there for two weeks and I couldn't. Uh, and and she, she had me drive her car all the time. Um, even when she was in the car, but, um, I, I just, I just couldn't, uh, my, my foot was hovering over the brake and more often than not pressing the brake. How about self-driving cars altogether? You know, there's going to be a point in time where we're just going to trust it. And, and really the number one thing that, uh, that's going to help us trust it is every time we have a drive an experience and there's no accident, that time and the intimacy of us actually being in the car as opposed to hearing about it increases our trust. That, that's part of my relative trust model. You know, positivity is accelerated by time and intimacy. So positive outcome of a new technology accelerated by the amount of time that we spend it, how frequently we spend it, and the fact that we do it ourselves, that's high int intimacy, will cause us to trust it. But, but initially, when something comes out, we don't trust it. So it's a matter of positivity, time, and intimacy. And, and so don't feel bad that you don't trust a new technology. There is a reason. And, but over time and with positive experiences, first-hand experiences, you're going to trust them. There is something that um, I, I used in the past and, and then still use today, especially when I teach about new technologies, called the Gartner Hype Cycle. So it comes out of the research firm Gartner. 
in the hype cycle, they describe it as the cycle that every technology goes through, uh, assuming that it makes it all the way to the end, because some of them don't. It starts with a technology trigger, something that, you know, uh, whether it's it's possible to do it now, wasn't possible to do it before, but something triggers or a need or, or something, an, an accidental discovery that causes us to uh, allow to, to trigger this new technology. So there is a new technology and it starts at the trigger. It goes straight to the peak of inflated expectations. Okay, this can do anything, including curing cancer. Okay, doesn't matter that it has absolutely nothing to do with the medical field, but it can do anything. We we hype, we overhype it, uh, and and we don't really ground ourselves in in the reality of of what it can be used for, and what it can't. I'm gonna say that that's where ChatGPT is today. It would be interesting to see, actually, at the Garner Hub cycle, what hype cycle, what do they think about uh, ChatGPT and where it is as a technology. Unfortunately, as much as I looked, I could not find anything that Gardner uh, wrote about it or put that in the, the hype cycle. I mean, I found things that they wrote about it, explained it mostly, uh, and said that it's going to be overhyped, but, but they didn't really put it yet in the hype cycle. So, you know, you get to the, the peak of inflated expectations, and then you're starting to realize that a lot of the things that it was supposed to be able to do or was perceived is capable of doing, it's actually not capable of doing it. Some of the major ones are, as it turns out, impossible. And then the technology goes down to the trough of disillusionment. This is where we're really disillusioned with the technology. Now, the only question now is, is it still good for some things? And if it is, it's going through an, an incline, they call it the slope of enlightenment. So this is when we're starting to realize that, uh, you know, but but it's still, there are certain things that it can do. Obviously, the question is, are the big things it was hyped to do, it's not capable of, and is there any value in this technology period? And and I'm, I'm aware of quite a few technologies that eventually just died because there was no value enough in in the existence of that technology because remember bottom line is that uh, people buy stuff because the their perceived value is higher than the perceived uh price and they keep on buying it if the real value is higher than the real price and some technologies just die there but eventually a technology reaches the plateau of productivity which is really what it can do and it's going to do well and it's going to continue and do that so that's that's another aspect i want you to keep in mind the gartner hype cycle of where the technology is and my guess is the chat gpt right now is at the peak of inflated expectations Neil Patel is is one of uh, the uh, my social media gurus and, and SEO and uh, and I read a lot of his stuff. I have some of the tools I I purchase from his organization, and, and he he is big on content strategy and content creations, uh, content creation. And you know, I get a lot of messages from people who are. Uh, 
telling me to use ChatGPT to generate content, generate a lot of content. Um, and, and it was very refreshing to see what Neil Patel in one of his emails that, that I got from him pretty recently said. Uh, and and it's, it's not just an email to me. It's, it's his position to all of his followers. He wrote... And while I definitely want you to embrace AI in your content strategy, it fails to replicate the human emotion component that's essential for marketing. And I think we recognize today, and I think that even LinkedIn has has made some changes to their algorithm in where they want to see uh, they want to see the real you. They, they want to see authenticity. And, and when you look at the chat GPT answer, it's not very authentic. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that even if you wrote to make it authentic, it might make it seem of sound authentic, but it's not you. Uh, by the way, uh, I use a tool that's called Grammarly. Uh, I, I'm sure some of them, uh, some of you use tools like Grammarly uh, for uh, whatever uh, purposes. Uh, it, it, you know, I use it when I write, actually, when I write everything, uh, including the articles. Uh, and Grammarly is kind of an AI, uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, engine that uh, checks grammar, really. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the full subscription that I have uh, checks, uh, checks uh, a lot more than just the basic grammar that uh, even Microsoft Word can check today. So just so that you know... I took the uh, uh, text that I got from ChatGPT. Grammarly was not overly impressed with it. So I need to actually fix a few things if I need to, uh, uh, if, if I really want to use this as an article. I want to I want to end uh, this this half of the episode, first half of the episode by saying one of the comments that, that I got on LinkedIn and on, on the use of uh, ChatGPT in, in the classroom, and we need to get back to this, this whole classroom thing and trust, is that technologies can be used for good and ev or evil. And that's especially at the beginning, especially when they're being introduced. There's no regulation. There's <coughs> not even self-regulation on how you use it. Uh, no ethical standards. Uh, there is no, you know what? I'm, I'm not even sure if doing this is good or bad. Um, and because people can use it for evil, that is one of the reasons why we resist allowing the usage of a new technology overall. You know, just because a few people, the few bad apples would use the technology for evil in a bad way, that we refuse using this technology even for a good way. Now, we're already 35 minutes into this episode, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut it in half, and uh, I'm going to put the closing now, and I'm going to start the, the opening, but both episodes are going to be published on the same day. So uh, if you're listening to this one, the next one is really just the second half. I'll see you right after this. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. 
write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.